Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, let's take our Bibles in hand and I invite you to the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Our text this morning, verses 14 through 30. Title of the message, Faithful Stewardship. We are in the second sermon of a four-sermon series called A Thousand Hills. Now, last week we looked at a great theme of the Bible as it relates to possessions, and that is this. God owns everything. And if God owns everything, that means we own nothing. And that was really the point of Psalm chapter 50, which was written, of course, by Asaph, the worship leader of Israel. And so when we give to God our offerings, we are simply acknowledging that He owns everything. We're certainly not indicating that He's in need. We're declaring our great need of Him. We're also acknowledging that the source of all of life's benefits and blessings come from the Father above. And most importantly, I think our giving is to be motivated by a heart full of love and gratitude for the Lord's blessings. The greatest blessing, of course, is the Lord Jesus dying in our place upon the cross. So this morning I want to direct our attention to the biblical concept of stewardship as it relates to God's sovereign ownership of His creation. You probably know that stewardship is the idea that God, as the owner of the universe, entrusts His people with the wise management of His resources. And so a steward in the Bible was a house manager, one that oversaw the workings of a household and managed the property rightfully belonging to his master with a view to accountability in the future. So stewardship as a concept was one of the great teaching themes of the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. In fact, of the 20 teaching illustrations we call parables recorded in the New Testament, 13 of them have to do with our subject today. Now, stewardship. So let us read one of them now, Matthew 25, uh, beginning in verse 14. Jesus is speaking. He says, For it is just like a man. Now, uh, that sounds like something a woman would say. It's just like a man. But that pronoun, it, has an antecedent, and it is the kingdom of God. We know that because. All throughout this section of Scripture, he's giving us illustrations telling us what the kingdom of God is like. So we could read it this way. For the kingdom is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away, and dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, 
Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you, had, you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing that this his word. Now, my last verse, if I have one, is 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Um, the second sermon I ever preached as your pastor was from that text. It says this, Let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now, Paul wrote that sentence concerning himself and the other apostles. Remember, there was some bickering going on in the church at Corinth as to who the best pastor was. They divide themselves into ranks and sects, and Paul comes into the scene and he says, there's no need for that. He says, if you want to think of us, we're just slaves. We're house managers of that which belongs to the Lord. And he says, the only thing that a steward is out for is to hear that he's been faithful, that he's been trustworthy. And so I hope that's the ultimate aim of all of us as Christians, is to be faithful to whatever task and talents that the Lord has entrusted us with, to be called trustworthy in his eyes. And so if that is the goal and aim of Christianity, what then does faithful stewardship look like? Well, we know it when we see it. Well, I believe the Lord Jesus here in this parable in Matthew 25 gives us some qualities of a faithful steward that we can identify. Number one, a faithful steward recognizes God's sovereignty in the distribution of resources. Secondly, a faithful steward understands his responsibility to properly manage those resources. And then he anticipates the rewards of faithfulness in the future. And finally, a faithful steward fears and avoids the consequences of faithlessness. And so let's begin with the first point there. A faithful servant recognizes God's sovereignty in the distribution of resources. Verse 14, describing the kingdom, Jesus says, It is like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Now, God is the giver of all gifts, James tells us. And because he's the giver of all gifts and he's the creator of all things, he has the right to distribute those blessings as he sees fit. Now, the Bible indicates that every human being is in some way a beneficiary of God's goodness and mercy. We call this common grace. The blessings of life like food, clothing, and shelter, and the institution of marriage all fall into that category of common grace, common because they're given to all humanity. But we have to admit that some humans are given a greater degree of blessings and privileges than others. 
Would you agree with me that it's a great privilege and joy and blessing to be an American, to live where we are in the freedoms that, that we enjoy? And, and so we should never take that lightly. But even in that context, some Americans are born into godly Christian homes, and some are not. So if you're here today and you had that privilege, that is a blessing that not everyone has. And, and still others who are born in as an American citizen into godly Christian homes, have access to, to great opportunities in education. These 20 seniors you saw this morning all went to great schools, and many of them are going to great colleges and universities and further education. That's a privilege not everyone in the world has. But I think what he's really getting at here, and I think the greatest blessing and privilege that anyone could have is the access to the gospel. And as I said to our 20 seniors this morning, they have grown up in this church, most of them. And from Sunday school to vacation Bible school to RAs and GAs to children's choirs to church to special conferences, they have, been, have, have had access to the true gospel over and over again. And we know that with great privilege, great freedom comes great responsibility. And so if we understand that God is sovereign in the distribution of those blessings and privileges, it will inform us that as Christians, we should never become bitter or angry or resentful when others have blessings that we're not entrusted with because God's sovereign and we're not. That's his business. All of us will give an account one day based on the amount and extent of our blessings and privileges. And the Bible simply says this, to whom much is given, what? Much is required. The master in this parable entrusted each servant with a portion of his possessions. Remember, they're his possessions. He owns it. To one, he chose to give five talents. To one, he chose to give two, and still another, only one. And he adds the footnote, according to their ability. Now, unless you make too much of that, remember that even the ability God gives us to manage his resources is a blessing from him in itself. So we can't take any credit for that. So, so what's the point? The point is this. You and I don't have to worry or fret about what our neighbor is doing with his blessings. We need to concentrate on that which the Lord has entrusted us with, our time, talent, and treasure. Every time I read the story that's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, let's just turn there. John chapter 21, the very last chapter of the Gospel of John. The Lord Jesus is in his resurrected body. He's appearing to his inner circle of disciples. And he gives them some very clear prophecy about what's going to happen in the future, specifically directed to Simon Peter. And in John chapter 21, verse 18, we read these words. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and Walk wherever you wish, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, in our culture, that verse has become sort of a commentary on old age. But it's more than that, because look at what verse 19 says. Now, he said this, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So he's directing this to Peter. He's saying, Peter, you're going to have to suffer in the future for being affiliated with me. In fact, Peter died a violent martyr's death. So how would Peter respond to this prophecy? Peter, turning around, saw the disciple who Jesus loved. That's John, following them. The one who also leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? 
So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about that man? I'm going to have to suffer. What about John, in other words? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. The point is this. It's not our job to worry and fret about what God or has, or has not entrusted to other people. We will give an account of our own lives and blessing. And so we know first and foremost that a faithful steward understands it is God's prerogative as a sovereign creator to distribute those gifts and blessings and privileges as he sees fit. By the way, he always does what is right, doesn't he? Second point is this. A faithful steward also understands his responsibility to properly manage those resources. Verse 16. The one that is the slave who had received the five talents immediately went and did business with them and earned five more talents. In the same way, the one who had received the two talents earned two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So the first two servants, one received five talents, one two, understood the master's expectation. And he went to work with eagerness. That word immediately tells us they didn't waste any time. Now, they didn't tell them how long he was going to go away, just that he was going on a journey. But we know it was a long journey. In fact, there's a hint here, I think, of Jesus to his disciples that there was going to be a protracted period of time from his ascension to his second coming. Now, they lived in that first century Christian world in an era of expectation. Jesus could come again as we should. But he said it was a long journey. It's been 2,000 years now that have intervened between Jesus speaking this parable and today. And one day, though, he's coming again. And when he comes again... He's going to hold all of us into an account. And so if we are stewards and managers and we need to be busy about the Lord's business until he comes, we need to know what the fundamental business of Christianity is, don't we? What's the fundamental business of Christianity and of the church? It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Great Commission according to the book of Matthew just before he ascended into heaven. Jesus gathered his disciples and said that you are to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey whatsoever commandments I've given you. That is our business. And we're talking about stewardship in the macro. We're not just talking about money, but it does have implication about our money and our time. And so if our business as Christians is to invest in kingdom work, it makes sense that then we should be investing our time, talent, and treasure and those causes and those pursuits which promote the proliferation of the gospel. Now, I'm thankful, though, aren't you, that the Lord Jesus in the new covenant set us free from the burden of legalism. You will not find in the New Testament percentages and prescriptions and heavily nuanced rules about giving. We ought to be thankful for that. Remember, that's what happened in the Old Testament. The Lord gave them simple instructions, and the commentators on the law added burden after burden after burden to the people until serving the Lord was no fun at all. In fact, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And he does so. There is freedom in the Lord. We are free as Christians to use the material blessings that he entrusts us with as he leads us by his spirit. So there are 
almost an infinite number of causes and activities and organizations that say they exist to glorify Christ. I have been tempted, though I've never done it. One of these years I'm going to do it. I'm going to start on January 1st, and I'm going to keep a record of every phone call, email, and piece of mail that I receive at the church from any organization claiming to be serving Christ who says they can transform our church in six months. And it will take a very large filing cabinet, I assure you. There's an infinite number almost of organizations who seek to be supported through God's church. And many of them good. And, And I encourage you as the Lord leads you to support those. But I want to say this. Um, My wife and I have a number of Christian causes that we support, but our first priority is to help support the mission and ministry of First Baptist Church of Keller. And here's why. As I read the New Testament, it seems to me that the primary way in which the kingdom of God is advanced in the world is through the local church. And we belong, we are members of First Baptist Church of Keller, so that's where we primarily invest our time, our treasure, and her talent. (laughs) But there's a great responsibility that comes with stewardship. We we typically talk about the member's responsibility to the church. But let me just say that the church also has a responsibility to its members. A few years ago, when we put together our long-term plan for the future, we called the vision plan, we settled on six talking points, six criteria through which all future ministries had to be run. Number one, SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. Is it for the glory of Christ? If it's not, we're not going to do it. Another is we're going to do the essentials well. We believe God deserves our best efforts. And then another was faithful stewardship. So we're saying that the church is God's. None of us here own anything. And so the church then has a responsibility of serving the Lord faithfully through stewardship but with two primary words, integrity and transparency. Integrity meaning we need to do all things right and appropriately. And so from time to time, I like to pull the curtain back a little bit and let you know how we attempt to do that. For for one, we have hired very well-trained bookkeepers and accountants in our office. Terry Dixon and her staff do an incredible job. So meticulous in the way that they manage the Lord. And because it starts with the fact that they're Christians and they want to do their work as unto the Lord. And beyond that, We have a team of volunteers called our Finance Committee who oversees the daily distribution of resources. They literally pour over every check request week after week, and they are to be blessed because it's a difficult job. You can imagine a church with a budget of over $5 million. And then finally, each year we have an external auditing firm that comes in and examines our books. And again this year, they found nothing out of the ordinary. It was a clean report, and so we're grateful for that. And, and that leads to the second point, which is transparency. You need to know what's going on, how the money's being spent. And so every month in our business meetings, which are open to any member, uh, there are a series of financial reports that explain in great detail how the money's being spent. And then each year, around this time of year, you have the opportunity to peruse, examine, and question the budget committee's proposal for next year's budget. And so that day happens to be today. And so when I finish preaching in an hour or so, Ricky Baker, 
the chairman of the finance committee is going to come and make his proposal this year. So you'll be prepared for that. But I say all that to say, uh, we have responsibility as individuals to be good stewards, and we have responsibility corporately as a church to be good stewards and managers. Now, there's a third quality of a faithful steward, and that is this. A faithful steward anticipates the rewards of faithfulness. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. It's a long time, Jesus says, he's going to be away. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, um, I have earned five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of the master. Now that's repeated with the second slave, only now with two talents. I think as a young man, I thought it was inappropriate, <clears throat> maybe a little arrogant, to think about the rewards of heaven. Shouldn't we just be keeping our nose down to the grindstone and serving the Lord out of gratitude. And that's only partially true. I've come to understand that it is not wrong, nor is it arrogant to look forward to the rewards of faithfulness. How do I know? Because I think the Apostle Paul is a great example of this. 2 Timothy 4, 7, 8. Paul, near the end of his life, he looked back over his service to the Lord and he said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, he's looking forward to these rewards. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul gave all the glory to Christ, but he looked forward to that, what he called the crown of righteousness, rewards. There are five different crowns mentioned in the New Testament. The crown of righteousness, I think, represents all of them to one degree or another. And so if we're to look forward to the rewards of faithful stewardship, we need to know what they are. Well, I think Jesus tells us. First of all, it begins with the Father's praise. The slaves that doubled their reward, 100% return, received the Father's praise. He said, well done, good and faithful slave. Now, I think there's only really two kinds of people in the world. Those that live their lives for the applause of men and those who live their lives for the praise of the Father in heaven. And the Bible indicates that you can live your life for the applause and approval of other people, and even if you get it, that's all you're going to get. You get a pat on the back, maybe even a standing ovation, but when that's over and people sit down, that's all the reward you're ever going to receive. And so I encouraged our seniors this morning, and I encourage all of us again in this service, not to settle for the temporary praise of men, but to set your sights higher on the Father's praise. Well done. Not only will we receive the Father's praise if we're a faithful steward, we'll also receive the servant's promotion. He says, you are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And he's speaking here, I think, of heaven. He's saying, if you're a faithful steward of the temporary blessings that I entrust to you on earth, I'm going to give you greater opportunities to serve in heaven. You say, Pastor, we mean serve in heaven. Well, I think there's a great misunderstanding of what heaven's going to be like among a lot of people. I go to a lot of funerals, and I'm usually on the program. But I get to hear a lot of other people give their ideas of what heaven is like. Have you ever heard any of these? Well, old Johnny, he's sitting on a cloud. 
strumming a harp as my blood pressure is going up as I'm sitting on the front row. We're not going to be angels in heaven, friends. Angels are angels. And, and, and I think a lot of people have the idea that heaven is whatever their favorite activity is indefinitely without any negative consequences. Can't tell you how many funerals I've attended where the deceased was a golfer and his well-meaning partner in golf would get up and say, oh, Billy, he's playing 36 holes a day. Well, not to make fun of that, but that, that's wrong. We're going to be serving the Lord in heaven. And, and to the degree that we were faithful on earth is to the degree that we're going to receive more opportunities to serve the Lord in heaven. And that's all I know about heaven, that to whom much is given, much is required, and one who is faithful on earth will be given a promotion. I think we can apply that, though, to material possessions in the here and now. I sometimes hear young couples say, well, when we're older, when the kids are out of the house, when I get that promotion, then I'll serve the Lord with my material possessions. And that may or may not happen. Probably not. Because the Bible seems to in indicate that if we're faithful with a little, we'll be faithful with a lot. And if we're faithless with a little, we'll be faithless if we're given more. But I think there's one more reward of stewardship he mentions here. It's, it's true pleasure. He says to the slave, he said, well done, good and faithful slave going to put you in charge of more, give you greater responsibilities. Now enter into the joy of the master. What in the world is the joy of the master? Well, who's the master? That's the Lord. So we enter into his joy. Now what is the joy of God? Well, I take it to be the enjoyment of his own perfections. It's the perfect fellowship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that Jesus mentions in his high priestly prayer that in some way we're going to be so identified with them that we will share in that joy. And I don't know what that's going to be like, but I know this. It's going to be better than anything this world has to offer. And so if you settle for the temporary joy of this life, that's all you're going to get. But if you're determined to hear well done, you'll enter into this eternal kind of joy, the satisfaction eternally of knowing you have pleased your heavenly Father. Now, one last point, fourth and finally, a faithful servant fears the consequence of faithlessness. Verse 24, now the one who had received the one talent also came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed, and I was afraid. So I went away and hid your talent in the ground. Still, you have what is yours. But the master answered and said to him, you worthless, lazy slave, did you know that I reap where I did not sow and gather that I did not scatter seed? Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received the money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. He who will have an abundance, but from the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. And throw the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What we should fear as faithful servants is the master's condemnation. Now, when I say fear, I'm going to put a qualifier on that. We know Paul wrote that God has not given Christians a spirit of fear. We're not to live in a constant state of fear. 
But there are certain things that we ought to have a healthy fear against. Husbands, you ought to have a healthy fear of committing adultery. It keeps you away from certain places and having certain conversations. I have a healthy fear of snakes. <laughs> a few weeks ago, my son, he's nine, playing baseball in the backyard. We have an unlevel backyard, so I said, let's go around the front yard. It's more level there. As we were making our way through the gate between the backyard and the front yard, we went across our concrete driveway, and lo and behold, there was about a five-foot snake laying there. And I sent Andrew to get the garden hoe out of the garage, and uh, we sent him to his reward. <laughs> and I don't know what kind of snake it was. He wasn't carrying identification. <laughs> but I fear all snakes. I think it's a healthy fear because I know what a poisonous snake can do. I don't live in a state of fear. I don't go around thinking about it all the time, but when I come across one, I have a response. This is what I mean when I say we ought to fear the Lord's condemnation. We ought to avoid it at all cost. And the only way to avoid it is through faith in Christ alone. And the only way to have assurance that we've avoided God's condemnation is through faithful stewardship. Those that love him keep his commandments. And his commandment is to be faithful in our stewardship of our time and talent and treasure. Some people say, well, all three of these guys went to heaven. I don't think so. Unless heaven is described in verse 30 as a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unless Christians are described by Jesus who died for us and loved us so much he would do so as worthless. No, he's talking about people who prove having no interest in the kingdom of God and advancing it by digging a hole and putting what they're entrusted with in it that they don't serve the Lord at all. They're not Christians. He said, e even if you weren't going to do anything, you should have given it to somebody who would. At least the bank would give you half a percentage point. You'd do a little better than, than nothing. And I think the point is that. There's only going to be one category of people in heaven, and that are saved people by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in heaven, there are going to be differing rewards. And there are some who serve the Lord for a lifetime who are going to have great rewards. There's going to be some like that thief on the cross that won't have much of anything to give to the Lord, but there will be some fruit there. There's some return for that. And if you do nothing... If you have no interest in the kingdom of God, it doesn't indicate that you're a backslidden Christian. From this scripture, it indicates you don't know the Lord at all. And so then it becomes an evangelistic moment for us this morning. So you're here today and you've never had any interest in the work of the Lord or his kingdom. You need to be saved. The scripture says you can be. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And friends, if Jesus is your Lord, it's going to affect the way you spend your time, talent, and treasure. Someone asked me years ago, why don't you ever preach on tithing? Well, I told you a moment ago, it's not in the New Testament. But secondly is this, I determined when I was ordained at 22 years old, 
yeah, you could probably get people to give more by making them feel guilty and putting legalism attached to it. But the aim of Christianity and of pastors is to help people grow in sanctification and in maturity. And here's what I believe from the bottom of my heart. If you get a church full of people who love Jesus, who are truly thankful for their blessings and for their salvation and for all the good things in their life that come from the Father above, you won't have to force them to give money. They'll do it. They'll meet every need that comes along out of gratitude and thanksgiving. So, so that's the aim. Not checking a box, not reaching a certain percentage threshold. It's recognizing, as we said last week, everything belongs to the Lord. Nothing belongs to us. He has entrusted to us in his sovereignty those resources, yes, in different degrees. Some get five, some get three, some get one. But all of us, one day, are given account for what the Lord has done. And all of us want to hear, I think, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray that that would be the case. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I confess before you and these people that I have not always been a good steward. There are days which I waste time. There are times I waste money. Father, I confess that to you as sin. Lord, I don't want to live under that yoke of legalism. I thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have in Jesus. Father, we're not free to live our lives any old way. We are free to serve him as his servants and slaves. So, Father, it's the ambition of my heart, and I pray of every member of our church to hear from you one day. Well done. Enter into the joy of the master. Father, I won't begin to pretend I know what that means totally. But in some way, it means the perfect relationship that the Trinity enjoys. And Father, I want that. And I pray it for every member of our church. And, and Father, to that end, we ask for your help. Help us, Lord, to make wise decisions individually and corporately. Help us to be men and women of, of integrity in our business, in our personal finances, but also in the church. Father, any good that you decide to bring about through us We'll be very careful to give you the honor, the thanks, and the praise. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.